Hey everybody, Pastor Derek here. So glad that you're with us. Connect Church, I love you. Pray for you all the time. Those of you that are watching online, welcome. Those of you watching on demand later, I hope this ministers to you in a personal and powerful way. Today, I'm getting out of the series that we were just in, One Blood. I want to recommend that you check that out. We did a whole series on race and relationships. But today, I dedicated a kind of a week uh, to the Lord. I told him uh, really a long time ago, like, that's your week, whatever. It's all his. But I wanted, I wanted to not really make a clear plan ahead of time for this weekend just because it preceded the election. And so what I want to talk to you about, and we're going to pray in just a minute, is the topic today is cancel culture. Cancel culture. And if I was to subtitle it, the subtitle would be, what about tolerance? What about tolerance? And so we'll get into that. But first, would you just join me? Uh, let's just open up the service today in prayer. Uh, God, I just want to, uh, first of all, say it's me. <laughs> it's, your, it's me. It's your son. And uh, I'm here. And I need you to speak to everybody through me out there. Lord, we just pause for a moment. Uh, we're two days, T minus, two days to election. And we're pausing Kind of, there's a little calm before the storm. And so I'm just praying, God, that as we do that something significant uh, would happen inside of us, that it would manifest outside of us, God. So right now, there are a lot of people in the world today that are anxious, that are troubled, uh, maybe even fearful, maybe angry, all kinds of things. Lord, I just ask, you know, as the shepherd of this church, that you be with our church, that you... Uh, comfort our church, that you advise our church by your spirit. The word tells us that we're uh, to be at peace and peace even in the middle of storms and that we can almost find an eye in the middle of a storm in our relationship with you. And I believe that and I pray that be possible for everybody that's listening today. And Lord, I pray that you show us how to be skilled peacemakers also in a troubled world that desperately needs you. And we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Everybody say amen. Uh, the scripture says in Psalm 120, verse 7, it says, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And we're really in a world today right now where some are for peace and some are for war and for hostility. And, and there's a lot of um, a conflict in our world today. Yet scripture also tells us in Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite uh, scriptures in the Bible is really this entire chapter, but we'll get to a final verse it says, live in harmony one with another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, people not like you. Do not be conceited. Look at this. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then this verse is huge. If it be possible, as far as it depends on you, everybody say on me, live at peace with everyone. Now, these two texts paint a picture of the focus and behavior that we should have as Christ followers. They also paint a picture of the problem that we have right now within our country, within our, country, within our, within our culture, within our world, don't they? And so uh, we know this to be true, but I'll just highlight, we live in a very intolerant world today. Most are not for peace. Most are not pursuing peace. Most are not actually peacemakers or skilled to be peacemakers. In fact, Galatians 5 refers to this 
um, this, this sinful tendency, this, this, this sinful nature where there will be in the last days um, uh, divisions, uh, dissensions. It uses the word dissensions. It's a, a really strong word for intolerance. Uh, factions uh, where there would just be these, uh, all these things would be forming and not conforming all the time and manifesting these kind of behaviors. And it's extremely grievous to God and it should be grievous to us. And so what happens is we can all get caught up in these contentious, um, even all the way to litigious behaviors so quickly, uh, like lighting a match, we can get fired up. And if we don't see uh, what's happening, and if we don't learn how to address and navigate these things wisely, then we see the continuation and the manifestation of racial tensions and political tensions at an all-time high and social tensions uh, just to name a few, but those are exacerbated and elevated right now uh, within our world. So for the next few minutes, I want to try to touch on a certain idea from a couple different angles. And in the modern sense, uh, this idea is what we call the cancel culture. In a biblical sense, it would be summarized in a word. Um, it, it, it's this word tolerance. Tolerance. Now, I read a story <laughs> that kind of Maybe we'll frame this. I don't know if this will be interesting to you, but it's just kind of a clever story. But it's about a, a bagpiper. He, he's a musician, old school musician. And this particular bagpiper was out of touch with reality. He wasn't aware of what was going on around him um, and because of his uh, poor uh, stewardship of time. And so as a bagpiper, he, the story says this, I play many gigs, he said. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to do uh, a graveside service for a homeless man, a pauper. And he had no family, he had no friends, unfortunately, and so the service was to be a pauper, you know, funeral, like a cemetery, really, with nobody there, per se. And it was in the, uh, you know, back country of Nova Scotia, and so he, when he went there, he wasn't familiar with the backwoods, and he said, I got lost, and being a typical man, I didn't stop for directions. Uh, all the men say amen. And finally, I arrived an hour late, and I saw the funeral guy, and he had evidently... Um, uh, you know, I saw the funeral, and evidently the guy that's supposed to run the thing was gone. The hearse was gone. Nowhere, nobody was in sight. And there were only the diggers and a crew left, and they were all eating lunch. And he said, I felt so badly, and so I apologized to them for being late. And I decided, I'm going to do my job. And so I went to the graveside. I looked down, and the vault lid had already been put in place, and it was closed. And so I didn't know what else to do. He said, so I started to play. And the workers put down their lunches, and they began to gather around me. And I, I played my heart and soul out for these men. And, and I played my heart and soul out for this man who had no family and friends. And I played like I never played before for this guy. And as I played Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, the workers began to weep, and they wept, and I wept. We all wept together. And when I finished, I packed up my bagpipes and I started back for my car. And though my head was hung low for what had happened to this poor man, my heart was full. And so as I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I've never seen anything like that before. And I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. Come on, somebody. This guy missed the funeral. Now, here's the point. He missed the funeral altogether, but there's nothing like being completely out of touch with what is actually going on around you. Now, I share this story because when it, when it comes to people of influence or people who want to be people of influence, 
Sometimes we are talking about something that we really haven't first learned about or listened to other people about. Uh, people of influence sometimes are talking about things and they haven't been paying attention. They're doing things and they haven't been really paying attention. They're not addressing the real problem. They haven't uh, struck the nerve, as it were, and they've missed the point. And we often have dialogues about deep and personal matters of which most people actually avoid, which we'll talk about that. And we don't get to this nerve of what is really needing to be addressed, what will really solve the problem. In addition, if by some miracle we get to the nerve, we forget it's a nerve. And we need to be sensitive and we need to kind of mitigate that like a surgeon would inside, uh, you know, doing heart surgery. Or like, you know, I used to talk about like putting a finger in somebody's eye so they can see better. It's still important that they see, yes, but we have to be sensitive to the fact because it's somebody's eye. And so I, I think we need a framework for understanding and talking about certain things in order to grow and change and, and be an influencer. And there are two uh, areas of dialogue, I think this is in your notes, uh, that create this framework. And one is at a surface level that people get super fired up about. And one is at a deeper level. The surface level is in, in dialogue is about our opinions. Our opinions. This is something that I would call the preferential. This is something where you have a hierarchy of preferences that are attempt to be superimposed on somebody else or, or maybe different than somebody else. They have a different hierarchy. And, and so those two things sometimes can collide. And, those, and, we, and we have certain things that we think are important that we choose are as important. That's surface. And we should be able to do that really well, but often we don't. Then the second, the more critical one, is uh, of area of dialogue is that which we have conviction about. Conviction. This is what's rooted in your soul. It's rooted in your conscience. And, and so uh, it's, it's like a part of who you are. Uh, and so to, to get to, when you have a certain conviction, to change your conviction, in a sense, is to change who you are. And so it's very difficult. And so when, when two convictions collide, or you could say two, um, maybe not knowingly, but two uh, unknowingly worldviews collide, the best thing we can hope for at least should be a cordiality uh, where we can uh, disagree and there could still be a civility and we can still interact and interrelate while still in disagreement. That's what should be possible. Uh, um, and yet it's, it, there's a vacuum for that today. There is a massive uh, vacancy for that. There's a black hole for that today. Uh, you have to look back to be able to see, uh, and you have to think back to be able to remember what that was once like. Recently, we have the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, the Supreme Court justice who kind of was on the left side of the aisle. And we have noted prior to her death and highlighted in the media, amazingly, uh, a relationship that she had with uh, Antonin Scalia who was on the other side of the aisle, more conservative side of the aisle, and yet they were friends. And it just, when I was listening to that, uh, this, this unique relationship that they had, it revealed something, that it is possible to disagree and still be friends. Is it for you? Is it for you? See, the goal of a civilized society is that we all, um, isn't that we all agree with each other, that's actually impossible. I can't even do that in my 29-year marriage with Stacy, and Stacy can't do it with me. That is not a prerequisite 
actually for a covenant relationship that we agree on everything, but we can be in harmony. We can still be in relationship. And in fact, it's in harmony, in living for peace over, uh, over preference, uh, exalting God's truth over even my personal convictions, that we find ways to be civil and maybe even find ways to come to agreement. And so I remember when tolerance uh, used to be understood uh, differently and even admired. Uh, but today, tolerance is under siege. Today, one word, one like, can create so much havoc that it, it can go viral. It can evoke a, a relational separation. It can evoke cancellation of agreements and, and contracts, lawsuits, lawlessness, and even hatred. And that Christians is not God's will. Cancel culture is fundamentally an outward expression of an intolerance manifested in a destructive way. Recently, even uh, the diplomatic uh, talk show host, uh, Jimmy Fallon, came under fire because of this cancel culture. And, and even though he's seen as very diplomatic, uh, he, was, um, he, was, he, was, uh, he suffered harm through social media uh, because of something that he did in the year 2000 on Saturday Night Live. And this phenomena has no scruples, it has no limits, and DeGeneres was the number one cancel of 2020 because of her supposed uh, incongruency uh, from what you see on the screen uh, to what you see uh, behind or backstage. And so this cancel culture uh, is out of control and it manifests uh, in social media, in, in and through group shaming, and it's, it's just a complete intolerance of someone or something with the goal really of hurting them. And so this intolerance phenomena has caused so much pain for people that some have lost all of their money, they've lost their reputation, uh, they've lost their opportunities. Listen, some I even read, and I don't have time to tell you about them, some have even uh, lost their lives, taken their lives because of this pressure and this cancel culture. And it's all born out of intolerance and a redefinition of tolerance. So what did tolerance used to mean? What did tolerance used to mean? Well, tolerance used to mean it was the ability. This is still in the dictionary, everybody, so uh, maybe they'll change it. But the ability of, or practice of tolerating. <laughs> uh, they assume you know what that means. And an acceptance or patience with the beliefs, opinions, so convictions, opinions, or practices of others. A lack of bigotry. Uh, it, it's basically, in simple terms, it's basically giving someone the ability to be wrong and still be in right standing with them. You're giving somebody the ability to be wrong while still being able to be in right standing with them. My daddy used to say it like this, would you rather be right or would you rather be righteous? Righteous meaning in right relationship with people. And as a byproduct of being in right relationship with people, you are better able to work through the rights and wrongs. But today we flip that in our culture and the culture has, is, is, is in chaos because of it. And the truth is every human being, uh, regardless of their opinions or their convictions, is made in the image of God, and therefore worthy of respect, regardless of their viewpoints or vantage points. So tolerance today, this unfortunate idea has been redefined. Tolerance today, listen to this, means every idea is equally valid or true. Every idea is equally valid or true. That's ridiculous. 
Okay, we wouldn't treat medicine that way. Uh, We wouldn't treat money that way. Uh, And and so today, if you believe something and don't believe everything, that kind of makes you a bigot. It makes you intolerant. And so it's a crazy, crazy redefinition that's creating crazy, crazy conflicts in our world today. Uh, Mark Driscoll, the, the former pastor of a great church in Seattle, he did a survey, a study, uh, and it's 70,000 conversations. And he was assessing Christians, not even like the world uh, um, and, and culture. He was assessing Christian culture. And he found and discovered in these conversations that the number one issue that the world, excuse me, he studied the world and what they had to say about Christians. And he found that the number one problem the world had with Christians was we were intolerant. So what's sad is we see the problem in the world, but the truth is it's creeped in the church. It's been in the church for a long time, and we are viewed often as the most intolerant people of all. And so what do we do about that? So our problem as Christians is um, the, the, that the highest virtue in culture today is tolerance under this new definition. And Christianity, the highest virtue is repentance, is repentance. In other words... It's not everyone is right and everything is right. That's current culture definition. But repentance is God is right and I'm wrong. And those two definitions are creating divisions. So Christians believe change your heart, change your life. Uh, Culture believes uh, you can't change, you can't grow, you can't evolve. That's why Jimmy Fallon can be canceled in 2021 for something he did in the year 2000 because they don't believe people can change. And that runs cross-grain or it, it's, 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 uh, it, it just completely opposes what we believe as Christ followers. So what do we do? We, we have to come to a place with and through loving courage we can overcome this problem and address some of these problems and get into some of these uh, environs, conversations, and interactions and successfully navigate them. We have to learn how to go there so we can grow here. That's what I've said for so long. And so what, for example, for those of you who are Connect followers, what I attempted to do, not perfectly, but what I attempted to do was go there in the last series. I'm not saying I did it right. I'm not saying I did it perfectly. But I'm just saying that's not just an assignment for a pastor. That's an assignment for Christians. And so in all this conflict, it's not an accident for you. It's an assignment for you. So you, you know this to be true that there's, um, there's a certain simplicity that is in a child that should also be within a child of God. There's a trust inherently within a child to the parent that God wants us to have in our relationship with him. You know that kids will just say whatever comes into their head, they'll say it out of their mouth, right? And there's a scary part of that, and there's a beautiful part of that, right? I taught my my daughters that smoking was bad for you, and we don't want to smoke cigarettes. It's bad for you. This is the temple of God, and we want to take care of it. And yet we'll be in a public environment, and they'd say, Daddy, why is he smoking cigarettes? Isn't that bad and be like, oh my gosh, you can't say that. But she was just speaking the truth and she was speaking it sincerely. Um, But as we get older, isn't it interesting how things change? We start to live by a different rule. We don't just say anything that comes into our head. Uh, we don't say whatever comes, you know, we don't just speak things right out of our mouth. No, we, we live by a new rule and that's the rule of not saying anything, not saying anything at all, right? Isn't that what we're living by, many of us now? I submit to you that sometimes 
we hold what we should say way too much because now we are confronted by a new human right. The new human right is, I'm offended. I'm offended. And we don't want to offend someone's human right. Uh, But my daddy used to say, love, courageous love, will tell you your breath stinks. Love will tell you, step back. Get a tic-tac. Love, love will tell you uh, your fly is down. Zip it up. Love will tell you um, what you don't necessarily want to hear but need because I love you, because I care about you. And so when should we, Pastor Derek, say something? When should we speak up? Uh, you know, I used to say when the boldness is when the opportunity pops up, we speak up. Um, but in short, I think, listen to me, I think we should say something. Something as mature believers uh, who know and adopt the word of God as their standard of living. That's a basic assumption I have. But I think we should say something more than we do. And it's not so much whether we should. It's more about how or when, not should we say something. And so this question of when we should speak up is worthy of more dialogue than we have time for in today's service. But I know more what we shouldn't do. And so I'll highlight a couple quick things. Spit them out you like spaghetti on a wall that will help you know what we should do. We shouldn't just rant online and spew our frustrations and opinions all over the internet, which by the way are permanent and will come back to haunt you. As Christians, can I have an amen for that point? As Christians, first of all, you should take your personal frustrations to God. Before you talk to somebody else, sometimes you need to talk to yourself and and talk to God about it first. But as Christians, take your personal frustrations to God, to a trusted friend. And if essential, take your concerns into private conversations where you are forced to exercise uh, uh, self-control, consider your approach, and tailor your words. See, most of us don't want to do that, which only shows we don't actually care about the outcome or the person to which we're talking to. So it shows that we have allowed the redefinition of intolerance even into our lives and we're just manifesting in a certain way. And we also need to stop determining how to make a point. We spend so much time uh, in our minds, in our imaginations, uh, uh, you know, cultivating and crafting certain things that we want to stay, we want to say, instead of trying to figure out how I can make a difference. Uh, we, want, we, we should be thinking about how I can help people more than I can hurt them with my point. We need to speak more towards the root of the problem than the fruit of the problem. A lot of times we're looking at the behavior, but we have no grace for that behavior. Instead, we should be looking at what caused that behavior in the first. Dig for truth. Apply grace. Give it some time and see what God wants to do as you have those conversations. I think a lot of times we we don't go to the source. We just, we, 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 instead, we scratch the surface. We don't go to the source. We just scratch the surface. And we think we have truth, but we only have a partial truth. We don't have the whole truth because we won't go to the source. So we'll grab fragments of information to pull our, 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 our kind of case and our, and our pitch and our approach to people. We get all fired up about it, but you can be off by the littlest amount of information and it blows the whole thing your whole case, your whole idea out of the water. Don't scratch the surface, go to the source. And lastly, we need to speak. I actually have two more. We need sometimes not to speak when no one's listening. Sometimes we're, 
we're, we're, we just want to engage with people, but they're not listening. You need discernment on that. Sometimes uh, people be fired up and they'll come at me with a certain uh, offense or a certain concern or a certain problem. And the best thing sometimes for you to do is to just step back. Because you know what? There's a tendency inside of me. I don't know what your Achilles is. Mine is my character. If somebody attacks my character, I want to defend myself. And you know what? Sometimes we need to turn our... Jesus modeled this for us in 1 John chapter 2, that he entrusted himself to him who judges rightly. And the Bible says later there that he said, I will repay. I will avenge. You don't have to try to defend yourself, figure out how to you know, make everybody see it right and make you look good again. And by the way, God's not worried about his reputation, and you shouldn't be worried about yours. Amen? And lastly, uh, when it comes to when we should speak up or how should we speak up, uh, we need to ask for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. He will give you the words to speak, because if you don't and you don't think about it, the Bible says reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. When you ask for wisdom, James 1.5 says that he will give you wisdom generously. Generously. I don't know about you, but I think we need a generous amount of wisdom with what's going on in the world today. Listen, that was my introduction. So, um, so we, <laughs> when we don't speak up, um, when, uh, when we don't speak up, then what, what happens? What, 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 what transpires? You know what happens? New belief systems are formed. Old values are abandoned or undermined. And especially the ones that we said at one time were important to us. And as a result, these new definitions begin to take root. And, uh, and then in the world, they're not just formed. They're promoted. They're pushed we see it happening through popular people, uh, through politicians, and even through pulpits today. And so I have concerns for this. Uh, look what people have said. Uh, the late, um, um, excuse me, former U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch, uh, she made this statement. She said, I think that overall the main thing, the position on a whole host of issues should always be towards inclusion and equality. Uh, Stan Lee, the movie producer of Marvel Movies, said, Sooner or later, if anyone is ever to be worthy of his destiny, we must fill our hearts with tolerance and accept everything for destiny to come. Has those or have those ideas infiltrated the church today? Some pulpits in America, uh, a church in Michigan, uh, they changed their name uh, from Christ Community Covenant Church and they changed it to C3 Exchange because the former name was too offensive. The name Christ was offensive. The cross on a church building was offensive. And they said things like, all religions are valid. Christianity is, is only one of the sails to catch the wind of God's spirit. If the church doesn't move move off its staunch position of the Bible, it will render itself irrelevant. This is some of the things that are happening, and it's even coming into the church of Jesus Christ. So what does the Bible have to say about tolerance? Well, there's so many things to address, but I thought I'd address it through the lens of a person, a personality. And uh, there's one famous character in the Bible, and his name was Eli. Uh, Eli, uh, I want to just give you kind of a quick cursory look at his life, and I want you to see some things that as a result of his 
unwillingness to speak up and to exercise restraint and sometimes teach what God told them to do, there became uh, uh, some serious problems. But Eli in Scripture, he's uh, spoken of in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1 through approximately verse uh, chapter 4. And Eli started out a prophet. He was a great leader, by the way. But his life ended really, really bad. And I think this is a warning to us today as Christians. And I think we're in a pivotal place where that which happened to him could happen to us because of where it's set in society and in history there. It's so similar to today. But Eli was a judge. They didn't have kings back then. They had civil leaders. And the judge carried the same authority and weight, much of a king. He was a high priest, um, which was like the religious leader. So he carried two significant roles, a civil leader and a religious leader. And he had to be an amazing dude to carry two of those roles. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, uh, it basically says that the Lord uh, wanted the blessing to be on the house of your father and to be with you forever. And this was God's original intent for, for Eli. God took the high priest role. He transferred it to Eli. He took the judge role. He transferred it to Eli. And, and he did a good job for a while because he was a good man. And he showed reverence for God. He showed reverence for the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, he dealt really well with Hannah. You know the story of Hannah and the prophet Samuel. Hannah wanted to have a child. She couldn't have a child. And, 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 and she was looked down upon and she suffered. And, and, and Eli saw what was happening and he had a word for her. And she later uh, bore a child. But she promised that if she had a child, she would dedicate him to the Lord. And, and Eli raised Samuel. He teached, taught him how to love God and hear the voice of God and respond to the voice of God. However, the end of his life was different than the beginning, and he dies a tragic death. What went wrong? What happened? What can we also today learn from him? And so we must see that the times in which he lived was in the time of Judges. And this is when Israel had no king. And look what it says in Judges 21, 25. I think it's in your notes. It says, in those days, there was no king. Everybody say no king. See, that's a problem. We always, as a people of God and as a culture, we will get ourselves in tremendous trouble and problems if there's not a king in your life. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, I want to stop there. Uh, we know what that means, but let me say, whose job was it as the civil leader, the religious leader, to confront this corruption, this evil, uh, this um, tendency? Whose job was it to pull the people out of paganism and, and, and these uh, you know, uh, pagan ideas? It was Eli's, and he didn't do anything. Uh, instead, he tolerated it. He tolerated it. So I'm giving you another facet of tolerance. In fact, here's a principle. What you continue to tolerate, you cannot change. That, and I'm speaking probably the most to relational things because relationships is where life really happens and life change happens. And so if you want things to change in your relationships, you have to adopt or accept this principle that what you continue to tolerate, you cannot change. I think we are in a similar place to these people, in, in the, the people of God in Judges. Uh, and I think you'd agree with that. Today, there is, there, is the, there is this idea that there are no absolutes anymore. 
There are no absolutes. There's no moral compass, moral standard. It's, that actually is absurd to many people, and it's even become absurd to Christians. Uh, John Maxwell, one of the greatest leaders on the planet Earth, a leadership guru, and kind of a, a second-tier uh, mentor to me through my pastor, he says that everything is a lack of values. Every problem, every uh, issue that we're having in our world today is a lack of values, everything. And so there is no entity that has predetermined that those values that, 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 that are set for humanity save the church of Jesus Christ if it's doing its job or the families or the parents or the fathers uh, to the next generation. And so if that doesn't happen, instead, then you get to decide what is right and you get to decide what is wrong. And we live in a world where we can define things for ourselves based on our own experiences and our own vantage point. And if I, had to, if I got to decide what was right and wrong, we'd all be eating ice cream every meal, and I would make it a law. Come on, somebody. I know we needed a little humor right there. But basically, here's the reality. Whoever gets to define what is right creates culture. Whoever gets to define what is right is creating culture. And so the world is yelling out there, you can't tell me what is right. You can't tell me what is wrong. You need to accept everyone. And by the way, acceptance doesn't even mean the same thing anymore. Acceptance means agreement now. And that's not what it means. And so Eli didn't agree with what was going on, but he tolerated it. He didn't like the condition of Israel, but it was easier to ignore it. And what we continue to tolerate, not only in our culture, but even more importantly, in our homes, will bite us. And eventually it can cost us everything, and it did. Let me tell you some of the things that happened. Because what happens when people of God, like Eli, don't stand up for what is right, number one, families, your family can suffer. Your family can, I know this is a strong message this morning, but I think it's important because of where we stand in history, where we stand at this time. Your families can suffer. 1 Samuel 2.12 says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They had no regard for the Lord. They did not know the Lord. And again, who was responsible to teach them? Who was responsible to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? The fathers. He also knew that they were not, he, uh, Eli knew they weren't following the protocols of the priesthood with regards to the daily offerings. You can read that on your own. But in verse 17, it says the sins, this isn't in your notes because I have extra verses here. But the sins of young men, Eli's son, were very great in the Lord's sight. And they were treating the Lord's offerings with contempt. So he probably loved his sons very much, but the problem was he was permissive, he was passive, and he didn't challenge his sons. He didn't restrain them. He didn't correct them and rebuke them. In fact, in 1 Samuel 3.13, it says, For I told him, Eli, that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about, wow, passive, tolerant, his sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. See, they were stealing from God. They were seducing women by force. They were holding the offerings of God in contempt. How did all this happen? Eli allowed it. And listen, parents, uh, you need to stand up for what is right more than any other time in, in, in human history. You need to lead your homes. You need to make sure that you are uh, passionately in love with God and you are transmitting and transferring those values to your children. Eli didn't do that, and, and it, was, it, became, it came to a point where it was too late. It was too late. And because of his negligence, the people in this time, they moved away from God. Israel began to get beaten up. One time they went out to fight. They didn't bring the Ark of the Covenant. 4,000 of them died. They came back. They're like, hey, what happened? The sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were like, 
All right, this is what we need to do. We need to get the Ark of the Covenant. They go get the Ark of the Covenant, and they go back into battle. They treated the Ark of the Covenant like a, a, lucky, a lucky rabbit's foot. They treated the Ark of the Covenant like a magic box. They stopped praying. They stopped fasting. They weren't actually practicing what they preached. They brought it out there, and they thought, we're going to destroy everybody because our forefathers had miracles, and many mighty uh, wars were won when we had the Ark of the Covenant with them. And that Ark of the Covenant did nothing for them, and 30,000 Israelites died. And, it's, and, and all of it because uh, a father was passive. A father was tolerant, and he didn't lead. And as a result, they were all defeated. First Samuel 4.10, so the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. God wasn't with them. And every man fled, fled to his tent, and the slaughter was very great, for there uh, 30,000 foot soldiers died. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died as well. Your families will suffer. Number two, people will suffer. People will suffer. You can write this principle down, but if we won't stand for God, he can't stand for us. If we won't stand for God, he can't, he can't stand for us. This happened because Eli was so tolerant and Israel was too permissive. And so out of the battle, one of the guys in that big battle with the 30,000, uh, he, he breaks free. He's got dust all over him. He's running back. And, and Eli is out. Uh, Eli's overweight. His eyesight was bad, but he could still hear. And he's sitting in a chair waiting for a report. And, and it says in verse 17 of 1 Samuel chapter 4, Then one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And they're, they're, uh, what's, uh, all, it's been a great... Great slaughter among the people, and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. Then the ark of the covenant of God has been taken. And when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off his seat backwards beside the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for he was old and heavy. Thus he judged Israel for 40 years. See, we don't want the presence of God removed from you. What happens sometimes, and we live in a day right now where, where you, 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 there's, there, you don't hear the voice of God as much. We're not seeing visions. That's what was happening in this day. And that's why God brought Samuel on the scene. And so there's more here. It, it, families will suffer. People will suffer. Number three, judgment will come for what we tolerate. See, Christianity, you need to understand something. And sometimes as Christians, we just think it's about me, myself, and I. Christianity is not about a bunch of individuals. My job is to make sure I never sin. If I do, then I win. If, you know, if I don't sin, then I win. No, I'm good. No, it's not just about me. It's about we. God has called us over and over again a people. A community. And my job and your job is not just to worry about my sins, my sins of commission. There's also the sins of omission, okay? And so what, what does that mean? It's not just about the things you did. It's also about the things you did not do. You did not do. And sometimes those things are standing up for what is right. Sometimes those things are tough conversations and in, in private conversations with people and, and really exercising the influence you have with the people you have for the things of God. And if you don't, my dad used to say, I know it's a quote he's probably stole, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I'd like to add, and others will fall too because you didn't stand. And other people uh, and we need to learn how to love courageously. I heard a story about a dad, and uh, he had his fifth kid, and so he had to go from a minivan to a passenger van. 
And, and so he's going shopping for a passenger van, and he gets to the dealership. The salesman comes out and says, I got a, I got a van for you. It's incredible. And he's thinking, like, what, how could, a, you know, how could a, a passenger van be incredible? He says, no, 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 it's got one of them backup cameras. And so he goes to get the van, and he's watching them, and he backs up, and he's using supposedly the backup camera, which has changed the game for, for, for driving, and he backs right into the wall. And while he's getting ready to back up, knowing he's got this backup van and he's, he's, he should know how to drive, the, the dad is thinking, I, I, I should have I said something. I was going to say something, but I, I didn't say something. And then he pulls the, the van out and, and he's getting ready to put it in a, parking, a new parking spot closer to where the dad was. And as he, he's pulling up, uh, he, he's getting ready and he's going to hit this thing on the side, like one of these little, little barrier things. And he's thinking to himself, I... I is he, he's going to hit that. He's going to hit that. And then he hits it. And he thought to himself, geez, I should have said something. And so they get in the car. They get in the, the minivan. <clears throat> and as they're going, he realizes, oh, my gosh, we don't have a lot of gas. And so if you don't mind, maybe we can just pull over and get some gas. So he goes to a gas station. He pulls over to get some gas. As he gets out, he says, man, these vans, they have, they're incredible. And they can go really, really long distance with these new diesel engines. And he's getting ready to put diesel fuel in a minivan, excuse me, in a passenger van that doesn't, that's not diesel. And so finally the guy goes, dude, 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 dude. No, 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 no. This is not, <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is not a diesel engine. You don't want to put that in. Oh, really, really, really? And he kind of defended himself, but he checked it out. He's like, you're right. And that same guy, had he not said something, you know, if he had, had he not finally spoke up, like, what's the lesson? He could have ruined the van, and he could have lost his job. See, the moral of the story is, people, you're like that dad. We have got to learn that sometimes, because of love, because of care, because of the consequences that could be a result of our lack of our, of our lack of involvement, of our tolerance of what is happening, people can suffer, people can be hurt, people can be harmed. And so loving courage, that's what we need. And God puts it on us to help everyone else, where we say, dude, there's a wall, uh, there's a post, uh, that's diesel, and this isn't diesel. And so if you don't, God moves on. And so later in this story, a new leader emerges. And imagine this new leader, his Samuel. He's a young boy, approximately uh, 12 years old. His first assignment when he hears the voice of God is to tell his mentor about his demise and about his, this transfer, in essence, of authority. And he does it. He passed this really difficult test, and Eli accepts the message. And from that day forward, the scripture says, uh, all, none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. What does that mean? Everything he said came to pass because he was obedient to God. He was more concerned about the, the affirmation and acceptance of God than he was the words of man. And so Samuel was different and Eli than, than Eli. And, and Samuel did things differently. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, it says, Then Samuel spoke to the house of Israel, If you return to the Lord, this is not a tolerant guy, by the way. With all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the asterisk from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. What's the moral of the story? This guy knows what's right, and he basically says there's no way to freedom, there's no way to growth and change unless we're following God and following his word. What Eli tolerated, Samuel addressed. Uh, Samuel knew that if you, if you want God to stand for you, you're going to have to stand for God. And then he says, Samuel says in verse 5, uh, he says, 
uh, this is in, uh, what chapter is this? 1 Samuel chapter 7. It says, Assemble all the Israelites, and I'll intercede for you. And in verse 7 it says, When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Don't stop crying out to the Lord for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. And while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage in Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such panic that they were routed before the Israelites. And the men of Israel rushed out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way, all the way to Bethkar. So he repents for them. He leads them in the way they should go. And God thunders from heaven and confuses the enemy and they defeat him. What's the conclusion? See, when we stand for God, he stands for us. See, we don't stand alone. We stand for what is right, and we stand for what is true, and the people around of us will experience freedom and blessing and the favor of God. Are you willing to stand up for God at this time in your world? Will you start, never mind on your Facebook account and your IG account, will you start at home? Eli uh, didn't do it, but Samuel did. See, evil doesn't run through the heart of institutions and organizations and, and governments. Evil runs through the hearts of men. And that's why the greatest virtue or value for Christians is repentance, making sure we get right with God. That's how our lives are changed and hearts are changed. And so I'm going to ask you, are you willing to surrender your opinions to God? Are you willing to surrender your convictions to God's values and God's truth? Are you willing to stand up for issues that are important to God, not necessarily just important to you? I want to pray for you, and I want you to just close your eyes and bow your heads wherever you are. And however this word has touched you, I pray that it has long-term effects. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me pray this. You know, the Bible said that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. It's because men and women, God, in the world were not listening to you in those days. And, and that's why you didn't speak very often. God, we want you to speak more than any other time for us. Maybe more than any other time in my whole life, Lord, I need a vision from you. I need your words to be spoken to me, but also to my friends, God. Lord, for every person that's here, I pray that they would come close to you now. And so if you're listening and you're far from God, are you ready to just surrender to him? If you are, I just want you to say this with me. Say, Jesus. Come on, say that. Say, Jesus. Today I surrender my life to you. Today I put my life into your hands. I know that I'm a sinner who needs your grace. And so by faith, I accept what you did for me 2,000 years ago. You reconciled man to God if I would receive that free gift. Today I receive it. Today I surrender my opinions Today, I surrender even the things that I hold to be the most important. I put them under the lordship of you, Jesus Christ. Today, I will do the things that are important to you, and I know that you'll take care of the things that are important to me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Listen, if you just made that decision... There's an opportunity for you to just raise your hand on the chat there. Just raise your hand, and then you can just type in CC saved 
to 97,000. We're going to send you a book to help you on your spiritual journey. We're going to send it right to you in the mail. I promise you it's going to be an incredible tool, and it's going to help you grow in your faith as you go forward. Thank you so much for listening to this message. I hope you share it. I hope you talk about it, and I hope you're ready to engage the world and be a greater influence on it than it is on you. God bless you.